tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 595. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have no co-hosts because Corey Romero is off doing the expert licenses today, and Matt is visiting customer sites. So I am here. Today is March 9th, 2022, and uh, on the show today, we're going to have Ryan Kelly. He's a VMware Cloud Solutions Architect. I think works out of the Americas region. We're going to be talking about five ways to avoid container lock-in. So uh, excited about that, Ryan. But before we get to you, Ryan, I'll just do a little bit of news here just to talk a little bit about what's coming up um, for VMworld. We don't have any expert news. I know the subgroups have been kicked off, so uh, you should be working if you are in the expert program and you want to be part of a subgroup, this is your time to join the subgroups. That's going on. Uh, VM World, we're going to have some major announcements come mid-April. We're excited about that. Um, can't tell you what they are yet, but I can tell you that they're going to be announcing that. They're going to be announcing, you know, what's happening. Uh, excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about the whole, you know, in presence this year because we're starting to plan. We're going to be doing a community booth and a theater uh, for V Brown Bag and Code. So we'll have, if you've been to VMworlds in previous years, uh, we're going to have a very similar setup. So we are investing the money to make sure the show is good. Uh, we're expecting maybe two thirds the audience that we normally get because you know there is a pandemic tailing off. So it's not going to be full force, but we are planning all the standard stuff that we do. So we're excited about that. And then we are going Going to be doing simultaneous live streams of I think maybe a couple hundred sessions at the same time. So I, I know that's going to be happening. So if you can't make it to VMworld, you'll still be able to you know watch keynotes and then I think there are going to be several hundred sessions that are going to be pre-recorded like we did during the pandemic. So that's good. If you are coming, we're going to have the community booth, the expert, the blogger tables, uh, the expert party, thank you gift, hackathon. So all the things, the fun things that we do. I'm still debating on whether we do any kind a raspberry pi lab i'd like to do a lab with uh, uh william lamb on running uh, esx on raspberry pis and then running the payloads on top of them so i've talked to william about that in previous years but then obviously we had the pandemic so we didn't do it so we might do that so we might have some some raspberry pi lab stuff going on at the same time we are going to have the booth the community and code all together. Uh, a few years ago, we separated them where we had uh, the code booth, uh, and, and code labs over in Moscone West, I think it was. And then the community booth downstairs in the pavilion in uh, Moscone South. It's gonna be in San Francisco for US and in Europe, same kind of thing. It's gonna run four days. We're excited about that. I think in Europe, the hang space is open for three days. So we'll be there three days. And that's uh, it's all being planned and we're allocating budgets and looking forward to getting a chance to seeing everybody in person if you can make it. 
So excited about that. I think that summarizes what we got going on in news. It's just basically we're doing a lot of VMworld stuff and Corey's wrapping up the licenses for the experts. And with that, uh, let's go chat with Ryan and uh, get to our topic, which is VMR Cloud. Let, let's, it is um, five ways to avoid container lock-in with Ryan Kelly, VMR Cloud Solutions Architect. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, so we always start out with a community uh, podcast because we're a community. We like to learn about people we have on the show. And I think you're a blogger, too, and a expert. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, how you got here in your career, what's your career arc look like, and uh, then we'll get into the topic. Sure. Yeah, so I'm currently a staff solution architect. I focus primarily on VMware Cloud and AWS, uh, but we've also incorporated a lot of the new Kubernetes features into that stack. So I've, I've sort of transitioned into more modern apps development and working with those types of customers and use cases. But my history goes back uh, almost, I've been in IT industry going on about 20, over 20 years now. And I started my career down a little bit different path than traditional college. So back back in the day, it was uh, I was actually showing my age here. I was a Nobel CNE. Um, mm-hmm. So we I went to school, to a tech school. And at the time, that was the fastest path because there were not a lot of trained folks in Microsoft and Nobel technology. And then quickly, you know, Microsoft MCSE became the standard. And then I got my first role as a desktop support. And then later on, systems engineer and so my background coming into vmware was as a customer Uh, and i've I've held that tradition a lot with talking to customers as well as interacting with the various engineering and business groups within vmware to take what i learned as a customer and what i like to see out of the products and really be that voice of the customer to our to interface with those folks uh, I did also go to traditional college. My previous employer was uh, gracious enough to to fund a lot of that, and so I took that those skills to the next level, and then sort of graduated to VMware just out of mostly love for the technology. And here I am, ten years later, uh, and I started my blog. Really, it w- wasn't like to be cool and have a blog. It was more like I would get asked a lot of this same questions over and over and I found myself typing out that type of email you know constantly and what I figured out is hey this this knowledge or this this use case or or whatever guide or how-to guide would probably apply to more than just my customer and so I started to publish that externally and I started to see that it had a lot of benefit to customers that maybe are not based in the US, Europe, APJ, those kinds of things. So, yeah, that's a, it's a very common uh, career arc, right? Like a, a lot of people, you know, end up uh, falling in love with the technology, uh, getting a job early on in their career with the technology, and then graduating to new technologies. I have to smile Novell, right? Like several of us, have, you know, spent time there. Uh, Graham on chat says Novell rules, right? You know, it's like a lot of, we've all come through that 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 scenario. And then uh, eventually a lot of people that end up at VMware, yeah, work at customers. Like we pick up a lot of people that work at customers. It's like the easiest way to uh, get a job at VMware. You know, people ask me, how, how can I get into VMware? I'm like, 
go work at a customer site right, that uses VMware and use it because sooner or later you'll get to know everybody. And then sooner or later, you'll, you'll find a job here, right. That you like because of the passion. And then your blogging is also very common. So many people, I think 99% of the people that do blogs, it's all just because so many people were pestering them to tell them how to do something that they just eventually go, I'm just going to write this up and point you over here so that you can just go read it as opposed to pestering me. And then, you know, or, you know, and it's a way to share. So yeah, very, very common. And it's a, it's a, you know, that's, that's kind of the way I think VMware operates and operates its communities and the whole thing. So that's cool. Very Mm -hmm. nice. So we should uh, do a shout out to your blog. Your blog is VM to cloud, VM to cloud.com. Right. Yep, going on. It's just had our anniversary of ten years, and it's it's amazing because it feels like I just started that yesterday, and it's been like five minutes. But it's it's very rewarding because you know it is a labor of love. There's there's time I spend on that creating those blog posts that usually occurs after my daily work hours, but it's very rewarding because I see the traction it gets. I see the comments. The positive comments of hey you know i was i was working on this we were stuck at this point you saved the day those kinds of things that right that's the kind of feedback that keeps me going to keep on blogging yeah you know it's a funny thing because my water heater started uh, leaking last weekend saturday right and there was drip 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 and i'm like oh and it was dripping into a place i didn't want it to be dripping anyway and so i was like okay and i i i googled it and somebody had done a nice blog on you know how to replace your thermostat if it's leaking right and then had nice pictures and took the whole steps and like I saved like a ton of time because he had what to buy, you know, that I piped up to use. And like within an hour, I did the whole project, you know, because that guy had written the perfect blog for exactly what I needed. I did it step by step and, you know, finished it up. And I was like done. And I was like, you know, two hours later, an emergency turned into like a, 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 I feel proud that I fixed something. So I commented on the guy's blog, told him, Hey, you know, it was a Saturday night at 8 PM and, uh, you know, I was able to have everything fixed by 10, right? So it does, it's a give back kind of thing, right? And it just saves people because you've been through it. You've talked people through, you write the article uh, and somebody that's coming up behind has the same thing, you know, and you save them a bunch of time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've been in the trenches too. Like I said, I've, I've been a customer. I've been there where you're stuck. And it was like, I just had one screenshot or, some sort of tribal knowledge around how other folks got around this. So that's what I try and do is like, when I come across something internally and I see like, you know what, people are probably gonna get stuck there. Then I, I put a blog out for it. And then I just also try and share some industry knowledge as well. Cause I've got a lot of experience with a lot of different customers. And I wanted to share like what best practices are, what, what folks in the industry are doing. Cause that's a knowledge you don't really get from like, you know, marketing type of blogs or, or interfaces. Yeah. And I work in marketing and I tell my marketing cohorts when they, you know, they say, Oh, what should we do? I'm like, you know what? None of us in this building, Hilltop E in Palo Alto know what to do because none of us run data centers, right? Like I used to run a data center before I came to VMware. I worked, I was a, 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 the vice president of operations for a company, but I worked my way up to get that position. It was like a hundred million dollar company through IT, right? I started on IT, uh, ran Linux machines and SCO, SCO, Unix. Everybody knows that it was Unix, not Linux. Um, 
but you you learn how to do things through that process and uh and then you can you can share it as you grow through through your career your blog uh i see you blog um vmw on aws uh v realize icon pack you have you know a couple topics but uh clearly your job is cloud stuff so you're you're spending some time writing about the, the cloud stuff right um let's talk about five ways to avoid container lock-in so container yeah. lock-in why don't we talk about the you know like what our customers are going through because you you know you work face customer facing right so what are customers going through as they start to adopt containers and kubernetes and what it, what was the problem set that uh, made you write this article Sure. Yeah. So I guess going back early on when I when I first saw Docker sort of come onto the onto the space, I saw that you know a lot of similarities to what VMware did, and you know there was a lot of uh, advantages and um, you know techniques that they were using to make the whole development lifecycle easier. And so what I the big advantage I saw is you know VMware made it agnostic for using any hardware gave you that freedom to just move between different hardware to move the vms between them you know that yeah. no sort of hotel california type approach and then i saw as containers evolved these markets started to to evolve and innovate and then there started to be you know kubernetes came into the picture as well and it started to see i started to see an erosion of sort of this freedom of being able to have that portability and and this whole notion of infrastructure as code is to really drive that that freedom of being able to have everything in code and not depend on that infrastructure and then when i saw services pop up on these cloud providers like you know eks and azure container service they're very cool and they're very easy to enter and exit in but the challenge is is they have proprietary features built into them that I think get people stuck eventually. Um, so I want to just put out there like, hey, there's some things you can do to be able to avoid those lock-ins so you're not getting tied to a certain vendor. And then you'll still have that freedom to pick and choose where you want your containers to run. Yeah, it's I, it's, I think it's certainly Ragu's uh, direction this year to to promote the idea of, you know, multi-cloud services, right? And being able to have a a, you know, layer that goes across all clouds and helps you not be locked into any one or being able to run cloud uh, payloads across all of them simultaneously, right? So less about lock-in and more about just being able to selectively choose and then be able to, you know, migrate the workload across depending on pricing and feature availability or whatever. So it's, it's kind of a both, but it's like having it, that cloud layer be there, right, which is our multi-cloud services, then being able to have the layers above that not lock you in, right? So if you are using, you know, Active Directory or, or whatever the uh, the registry is, container registry, that you're, you're not getting yourself locked into a container registry that's only on one platform, because then how do you move your workloads around, right? So interesting. Exactly. And, and what I've seen recently with, yeah, there's some if you've used containers like pushed and pulled images from Docker Hub lately, you'll notice there is this new rate limit. So, you know, if you're using the free version, it's only 100 downloads. And if the problem is that like companies that I've talked to, 
they're all coming from the same IP address, so that's going to be quickly exhausted. And then there's you know other services, container registries that that have popped up on Amazon and other other vendors. Uh, the challenge is like their the code and the the techniques they use to push and pull those are specific to those environments. So the nice thing about our the Harbor registry, it's it's open source. You can download and install it today. And then you can run it in any cloud that you want or on-prem. And it has replication, so you can replicate all the images to and from. But that way, you're using the same registry across all and without that rate limitation. So it's kind of addressing two problems uh, you know, with the lock-in, but also with you know, not having to, to pay a huge fee if, if you go over those certain limitations. And, and pretty much any, any customer that is doing real you know, DevOps every day, like spinning up and tearing down containers, you're going to quickly reach that rate limit. It's just a matter of time. So, I had not heard that they had limits on this the services themselves, and they're charging. Ugh, I hate that, right? Like, but yeah, that'll quickly get get you in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah, hadn't heard that. So, okay, so then there are these issues. So you 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 wrote a blog article, and you have five ways to avoid container lock in. Uh, why don't we just go through each one of those for fun right now? Okay. Yeah. So we I think we touched on the. Using your own registry, I think that that makes sense. And you know, Harbor's free to download, so I encourage everyone to just download and try it. And that's our open source um, uh, registry, right? Our, correct. Yep. Yeah, for people that haven't paid attention. And then the other one is uh, to use a standard multi-cloud management tool. So instead of relying on tools that are provided by the particular vendor you know i recommend just using something that's SaaS based and is able to manage a kubernetes install virtually anywhere so the solution we have tanzu mission control is it's agent based so it it just needs an agent on that particular kubernetes cluster as it just runs as a container and then it basically phones home to to this service so you don't need any like special firewall or vpn connections but you can manage that that installation from anywhere so if you've got kubernetes deployed out on amazon out on on azure in a, a garage somewhere in palo alto uh, you know a data center in singapore it can all be in that same view and then all the rbac and the rights and the upgrades and and the lifecycle management is all in one place. So it's a really nice solution. In my opinion, it's the vCenter for container and Kubernetes management. I think we, at VMware, we need to do like a better job explaining that to people. And that, that's what I'm working on too, is just bringing that message home. Because when I saw it, I was like, this is what I would buy. And for me, that's, that's easy to, to help my customers with is I would buy this. So it's easy for me to help them understand it. That's a, that's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, and a lot of people don't really pay attention to, you know, the name mission control, right? Like, so it's yeah. like, you know, like, it's like, yeah, like, it's almost like I want to have multi-cloud vCenter, right? Like, because it's like, it's easy to grok, but, uh, but that, that, that's, a, that's a, yeah, a multi-cloud management tool. I, I got to ask, like, in your experiencing customers 
are customers starting to look at this as you know uh, uh, an important way to manage their their infrastructure? Uh, I think it's coming around. So I, I think what what I've seen happen is a lot of customers have gone down the path of roll their own Kubernetes and quickly found out how difficult that is to do. And I, I can give you a perfect example is the one of the blog posts I wrote long time ago was to a Kubernetes service for be realized automation. And I had this idea that it would be cool to click a button and install it. What I didn't realize is how much work it took to actually install Kubernetes. And it took me over two weeks just to get the install down. And now with, with the solutions we provide, it's literally down on VMware Cloud and AWS, it's literally down to push button 10 minutes, it's installed. And so I think it's coming around where a lot of our customer base is seeing the Kubernetes environments grew that were homegrown in their environment and they need a way to have IT actually manage that. And so we're seeing a lot of, of traction with customers who are inheriting those types of environments and they like what they're seeing with like mission control and and the harbor registry and then the built-in Tanzu for vSphere. People are really starting to see the like, hey, VMware really got this right. And it's the same skill set that a vSphere admin has. So if you've been using vSphere for a year or 20 years, you already know how to do this. That's that's what we're finding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's good. That's good that uh, people are starting to come around. And I think we got to, yeah, I think that's Raghu's mission this year is to kind of make sure that everybody gets this message, gets the, the true multi-cloud services. Uh, so mission control, good one. Uh, use persistent volume claims. I don't know what that is. I've never even heard of that. Take, take me through that. Sure. So originally containers were meant to be immutable. So they were just disposable uh, you know, runtimes for like a web front end or some sort of database. However, as we started to move more and more applications from like a VM format to a container, there is this notion of persistent data. So there's data that's going to live there forever or is going to, as part of the DevOps cycle, may get attached and detached to certain volumes. And so that data that is written is written traditionally to some sort of volume. And what the some of the cloud providers have gone with is more of a, a persistent disk type of mm. uh, situation where they're writing to a disk volume, then you have to format it. So think like, you know, Windows or Linux, you have to actually format like a D drive. Right. Uh, what, what we've done on vSphere is we moved to a persistent volume. So it's completely agnostic of the underlying infrastructure. So right. underneath that, it may be vSAN or iSCSI, it doesn't matter. But we've at least abstracted away that complexity. And then it's that's universal to any Kubernetes installation. So even if you were not using like a VMware distribution of Kubernetes, this would be the same. So you're all the developers infrastructure as code, it would work the same across both. But if you use persistent disk, you have to write a certain way for Google, a certain way for Azure, and a certain way for Amazon. That's where you get into those lock-in situations. Makes sense. Makes sense. I got that. Um, I did. I didn't pay attention to claim like when when when, when I saw that uh, persisted volumes, but I didn't know they were claims. So you claim a volume, and that's that's the name that they use for that, I guess. Right. So, correct. Yeah. Just the way that the claim is done is yeah. 
it's universal with a persistent volume and it's specific to the cloud provider for a persistent disk. Right, right. Deploy your own Kubernetes cluster. Uh, I guess that's just like deploy your own cluster so you can then have nodes or worker nodes throughout. Take me through that. Yeah, so what what VMware is providing is Kubernetes industry standard deployments. Um, so there, there's nothing proprietary about it. It's all you know straight up Kubernetes that you could download online. We just make it easy. We have a, a packager and a deployment automation tool to actually push those out. Um, so what we're saying is instead of going to a, a cloud provider that is a managed Kubernetes service that's going to have certain cadence on when they're actually going to release different versions of the, the Kubernetes, and they may have proprietary mechanisms within those environments. What we're saying is if you're going to run your containers this way, just go ahead and deploy your own Kubernetes cluster, whether that be on vSphere or, or public cloud, and that way you're consistent across all your environments. And, and plus, no matter which cloud you're on, so going back to that multi-cloud story, you're you're using the same code and the same mechanism, same APIs and same what they call in Kubernetes a CRUD command. It's the same exact across all of them. Right. So instead of writing your your code specific for each cloud, you would have the same code that's universal to any cloud. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is where Tanzu comes in, or you know, even Tanzu Community Edition, right? Like you can get your own Tanzu, put it in the in each of the clouds, and now you've got the same exact Kubernetes across across all your clouds, right? So exactly. And and that I don't know if anyone's even downloaded or tried the Community Edition, but I love it. It's just so simple. Like finally, there's a package that. Is just click and deploy. So it points to vSphere, Amazon, whatever cloud you want, deploys Kubernetes for you. You can add clusters, do lifecycle. It's really what, cool. What fun is that? Like that? That just makes it too easy, right? Like, then they have, you know, part of it, part <laughs> yeah. of our fun is having it not work 30 times in a row until you finally find the magic way that some document says to do it. But, uh, you know. Yeah, it's definitely going to put me out of work on the blog how to guides because. There's not much for me to write. There's two lines: download, click, vSphere, install. That's it. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, then you got all the stuff on top, right? You still have to run your. You have to run it, and things go wrong. There's still work that has to be done. I don't think we're gonna get, be out of work anytime soon, right? I think this oh, no. actually, Kubernetes actually, and managing the 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 pods and deploy managing the applications uh, running. It's actually a, it's it's a it's a bigger task, right? I think there's more to do than there was before. But you're managing more of the stack now, right? And the stock has got stack has got more complicated, but it scales, yeah. right? It scales bigger. So, um, but there is a bit more work to it, right? Like I, I feel if it gets more work, it's nice. The community edition ex exists. It's nice that we got this ability for everybody to just go click. We put together a 12 days of, uh, of Kubernetes. And it, over the holidays, so you would give you a, a lab you could do every day or a task you could do every day. And it one of the bit midway through, we told you to go get the community's edition and go get it installed. And then we gave you a couple other things to do. So you have a home lab. So yeah, it can be done. Um, so makes sense. Uh, in your day-to-day -day job, uh, I, I wanted to do this before we get to the, the last one. Like, 
what sure. what are you doing in your day-to-day -day job are you advising customers or are you architecting solutions um the reason i ask is like when customers need to start heading down the, this path what's the on-ramp for customers to start learning this and, and and engaging does vmware offer professional services for it uh, what does a typical customer do when they want to you know start architecting out their multi-cloud solution with containers and and kubernetes yeah, so a lot of a lot of what I'm doing daily now is, you know, a lot of listening, just trying to understand, you know, what their challenges are and where we can add value and help. Uh, and then, you know, like you said, we're it is a journey, so we don't we don't expect everyone just to pick this up overnight. because um, Kubernetes is it's a it's a different mindset. There are a lot of similarities to vSphere the way the management of the pods and the clusters and the, the scheduler work, but this is a very much developer command line focused solution. Um, so what what I've been really guiding a lot of our, our core champions at our customers at is, you know, starting with the basics of where I started, you know, deploy your first container, build a container. So just start with Docker and Kind of understand the workflows that the, the developers are going through and then start to build out like a you know download community edition just load a, a simple kubernetes cluster and just start exploring it and start playing around with it maybe partner with a developer who's hungry for resources too so you've got some developers that are like hey we need we need this environment just to test around with you know partner with them so you can understand both sides of the, the story because it's not just, this isn't just an infrastructure type of problem. It's also developers that want very fast speed and low friction with IT to actually get their job done. Um, so what we've tried to do a lot with customers is really bring in those developers into the conversation so that we can understand you know, their requirements, what they're asking for, and then really position what VMware can do in that space. Another really useful resource is the hands-on labs. Um, so VMware's hands-on labs, there's a ton of labs around Tanzu both, from both sides. So there's a lot of labs around standing up the Kubernetes infrastructure and administering that. But then you could also put on a different hat and wear the shoes of the developer and then experience how they would see you know, pushing and pulling images building an application, building a multi-tiered app on this infrastructure. I think that's helpful. That was always helpful for me is like, why do you even want this? You know, I, I get like Kubernetes is this buzzword, but why do, why do these developers want it? Once you understand both sides, then you can better address like what you can do infrastructure wise. Um, and then also like the, I think the incentive we're trying to, to really focus on with a lot of our customers is this is a huge resume builder too. So it's not just about, you know, addressing this new problem or concern, but also you're learning new skills. I've always been all about following the next big thing or the, the next shiny penny. Um, right. And you know, I've sort of built my career on that of trying to find what's the next thing or the next innovation in the industry. So I think there's a lot of uh, advantage and incentive for, or motivation for our customers to to learn this because you'll see as you as you start to add these skills or accreditations or you know any type of certification you get 
you'll see your LinkedIn will start to light up. Not that we're encouraging anyone to leave any customer or, or company, but you know, I'm happier at VMware. But I have noticed as, as I've started to blog and, and really dig into this, some of these technologies, I see my LinkedIn just start to light up where I was like, I would have never been offered those types of roles before, but as I'm graduating into these new technologies, you see there's there's more opportunity out there. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And um, and certainly if you have developed those skills, you know, you're in a better position even in your own company to be able to, you know, help make a decision to go that route, right? Like if you're if you're thinking multi-cloud or you're thinking how to do it, if you have those skills, even though you haven't really done any projects yet, that puts you in a better position to be able to talk about it and then help drive the conversation at your company on where to go, right? And what to do. Yeah, good point. I forgot to mention just even, you know, internals promotion. It's it's a great opportunity. If you're if you're looking to move up and just find that extra extracurricular activity that's going to get you that next level at your organization, this is the way to go. Yeah. And I think most of us, we all have home labs. We all have, you know, areas inside of our company where I've got servers spun up doing things. And sometimes I used to go just show upper management, like, this is what I've got running. I built this and this is how it works. Right. And it's just being able to propagate, you know, this, you know, this technology through your enterprise. If you have an instance of it, uh, VCDX 181, the guy, uh, I forget his name already, but I just know him as VCDX 181. Um, you know, he has a home lab that he's running all of it and they use it as a demo center throughout Europe, right? Because he's got just a massive lab and he just did on this as, on his own because he wanted to learn it. But then it is actually, they use it to show, you know, in his, in his day-to-day practice, how this stuff works, right? And it's a it, it, he's used that to then you know get consulting gigs throughout the, throughout Europe and you know help his company. His company, I think, is a a consulting company as well. So he does that as well. So it's a, it's good all the way around. And it's it's kind of weird because for me, everybody's at different points in the journey. Some people aren't moving at all. They're just tradi- traditional data center vSphere. Their apps ain't, aren't tr- changing. And then you've got others that are, you know, looking to change. And then there's others that are already changing on different clouds and they're trying to aggregate clouds up into one kind of architecture across multiple clouds or across divisions in the group. So yeah, there's a lot of different places that you can use this knowledge when you, when you get it. Yeah. Actually, you just reminded me of a a great story about showcasing new technology. So this is going way back, but Back in the day, I was working for a company. I was at at Bayer Corporation, the the aspirin company, uh, and we were we were at a, a tech conference for for Citrix, and they were using some technology to to do multiple VMs on one machine. So I actually brought in this this showcase, and I'll show you the box just to prove it. Uh, I bought on my own credit card. There it is. For, yeah. Sex server, um, and I took a gamble. You know, I was like, "Hey, I think this is going to change the world." And I, I brought it in. I installed it on some old hardware. I started showing people. I got some, some people that were hungry for extra capacity, and it sort of skyrocketed from there. So, yeah, point, Eric, I, I think up. we've, I think we've all done that. MySco Unix was that way. Where I, back in the day, an AT. IBM AT I had gotten a hold of and uh, 
and kind of wanted to have my own root password. I, university, I was always on university systems and I never had root passwords because I wasn't on the lab staff or anything like that. And so when I started working at IBM, I bought an, I started working at IBM in software, but I bought an IBM AT at the time. I think it was, uh, I think it was six. 6.8 megahertz or something like that was the CPU speed. But you could buy this SCO Unix and it was like $1,200. And back in, I think this was 88 or something like that. Um, it was, you know, it was uh, still money for me out of college, but uh, I bought it because I wanted to, I wanted to have my own root password, right? And then I got it, got my mm-hmm. own root password and started doing stuff with it, showed people, joined a club, you know, the next thing you know, that's where my career went, right? Because, uh, you know, you just you just find something that's cool and you go, I can run a multi-user operating system on one of these little, you know, $2,000 machines that I can get from IBM. And this is like super cool because before that at university, a deck was, you know, was 50 grand, right? To get a get a multi-user Unix login system that you could use CP to the university and get email feeds, yeah, or, uh, ARPANET feed, I think it was I got. Um, there was... Uh, uh, you couldn't do that. So it is fun to get the technology. So it's cool to see your box. For those of your listeners podcast, he 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 showed us an ESX, I think it was let's see, yeah, oh yeah, ESX server VMware, which I don't yeah, we that must have been is that three dot? What version is that? Like three dot? I think it's three dot oh yeah, three dot. That's the one I started with. Three dot one or something. Yeah. yeah. Yep, 3.1. Uh, they, we weren't calling it vSphere yet. We were just still calling it ESX. Uh, and then, yeah, it's like, yeah, the ESX server. Class. We were using yeah. mainframe as our mainframe class virtual machines. Nice. That's because <laughs> everybody that uh, at the time, virtual machines were all just for mainframe, right? That was everybody knew ma- virtual yeah. machines for mainframe. So it's kind of like the same as Go Unix, where here we got this virtual environment you could put on x86 hardware and have a whole virtual machine environment which was classically for like half million dollar machines uh, you know that you could do that on so yeah, super cool it, it worked though i mean the marketing worked because most of my my company was still mainframe and so that connection actually really resonated with a lot of folks who are like oh like a slice or a vm slice and you know unfortunately we could never get rid of that vm slice scenario but yeah we were very successful with, with VMware. And then, you know, I pretty much installed every product VMware had, and then I graduated VMware. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's right. That was, that was fun times. Getting back to your article here, your last of the five things that you should do. Uh, and I'll let's review private registry. Uh, one private registry two standard multi-cloud management tool, three persistent volume claims, or deploy on your own Kubernetes clusters and drum roll number five, bring your own backup solution. That's people forget about that. But if you lock yourself into a backup solution for the cloud vendor, then you've got, if you want to move to a different cloud or, you know, be mobile, you got to deal with a whole nother backup system somewhere else. Right. So. Exactly. And, and, you know, again, going back to containers should be immutable. The reality is a, a lot of, a lot of customers that are, that are heavily standardized on containers, there's going to be some systems that are, you know, they, they have code that's specifically written for that container, or there's data that's that's going to be unique that, you know, can't be duplicated. So I encourage folks to just, just like with your infrastructure is, you know, have, have a backup that's agnostic to that infrastructure. 
Otherwise, you're stuck there. So if you back up to something like AWS, um, it doesn't mean you can't use their infrastructure to do the backup. But if you're locked into that, and then you go and switch to to another cloud provider, then how are you going to do the restore? You know, in the event of a disaster. This way, you've got something that's universal across all of those. You can just replicate the data over, and that backup tool continues to operate. Yeah, are we still, uh, you know, what do people use these days? Is Veeam still the thing to use? Or, you know, like, I know VMware has some backup capability. I don't know if they, what the cross, the multi-cloud backup solution really is these days. I'm not, I don't know. Um, so for VM-wise, I see a lot of Veeam. I see a lot of Cohesity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, if customers standardize on network appliance filers, I see like an on-tap, on-cloud type of snap mirror replication going on. Um, but I, I think the space is still sort of evolving. I think there's right. still a lot of innovation that could occur with something that's more, more cloud agnostic. Um, but on containers specifically, the, the open source tool that, that Valero, that VMware acquired is, it's pretty much become the de facto, even even outside of VMware. So interesting. You know, customers are straight yeah. up Kubernetes. They use that because it's open source. And then what's cool now is we built it into that Tanzu mission control as just a, a native feature. Um, so you don't have to know all the, you know, how to build from GitHub and get the thing installed. It's just there as a button, backup container, and you're done. Yeah, Valero. I knew that I had heard of that one. Right? We had, I think, they had the Valero folks in when we first acquired them and talked a little bit about it. Yeah, so that makes sense. When you uh, look at next year, right, or this year, I guess we're already in this year. So this year, going forward, what excites you about uh, what's happening in your space? Um, so right now, I've I've been working a lot with the our engineering teams and product management around evangelizing as well as customer adoption of the Tanzu service on VMware Cloud and AWS. And so we've had a lot of excitement around that where the the big attraction to customers is customers are already in VMware Cloud and AWS. It's obvious they can just attach a service and start it up. It's included with the VMC subscription, which is nice. Um, so you know, customers don't have to think twice. It's like, it's already there. Let's just enable it, start deploying containers. And then also working with newer customers to where this opened up a whole new use case for us. So previously, what we were focused on was data center migration, DR to the cloud, data center extension. So just having that hybrid sort of cloud story. And so what this opened up is, hey, we've, We've got a development team that are are quickly, you know, growing out of their sort of, like I said before, that homegrown Kubernetes infrastructure. And what can you offer us? And and by the way, we need to do this like yesterday. And those yeah. are the the customers are really excited because we can stand up an SDC in under two hours. So fully configured, minimum of three host uh, environment where we've got. NSX, vSAN, vSphere, fully ready to go. All you got to do is upload a template and you're done. Um, to the point now where within 20 minutes later, we have a fully functional Kubernetes environment on top of it with Tanzu Mission Control included. 
And so customers are seeing that that advantage and and that lower total cost of ownership, but also their time to to get things done. Because all of our all of our customers now, what we're seeing too is like post COVID. So I think during COVID there was this little sort of window where everything was sort of on hold. And right. now we're seeing like as we're coming out of it, hopefully, uh, the pandemic, we're seeing that a lot of customers are like, okay, let's get back to business as usual. But we just lost about a year or two of actual productivity. So we need to do things like tomorrow. And that's yeah. where we're seeing a lot of uptick is, hey, you know, this service is really fast to stand up and we can have things going within a few weeks rather than months of planning yeah. and execution, you know. Catching up on the on the checklist of things you said you're gonna do. I look at my goals and objectives for this year, and like they're the same goals and objectives I had last year and the year before, right? Because like a lot of these didn't get met just because we're stuck in pandemic and you can't do everything you wanted to do. So now that you can, yeah, the speed that which you want to try to accomplish some of this stuff is is certainly there. That's interesting. I did want to comment also that uh, I have a couple of friends that work at uh, big companies and uh, they use cloud services and they were all on VMC and AWS, right? But it's surprising now how many are actually stepping back trying to disconnect a little bit, right? Because they're over-dependent on, uh, not VMC, sorry, uh, AWS native, right? Mm -hmm. And they're stepping back to look at like, how do I do this so that I can unlock from just being completely dependent on AWS? I want to get to Azure, but I need to, I have all these services that I'm running in different places and I have to, I have to step back and architect a solution that allows me to get to multi-cloud because I've got lock-in over there and I'm, not really comfortable being locked into AWS anymore for competitive reasons or uh, performance reasons, stability reasons. They're just not. And I have like several friends of mine that are IT guys that are like now stepping back, looking at how to put stuff on Azure, right? And uh, it's, so it's interesting yeah. that you know this is a real issue for people now. Uh, you know, and you know I look at some of the services that have been down through AWS the last couple of months. They've had major outages, and if I'm running a big company where those outages cost me a lot of money per minute. I'm also looking at ways to have multiple vendors give me capacity so that I'm not completely down if one of them goes. But that gets into this whole list of five thing, dependencies that you have to manage because in order to have your workloads go close multi-cloud, you do have to manage these dependencies. So I smile at the uh, that my famous dependency story is Facebook. Um, they, the, the guy unplugged one of their uh, systems that did DNS, all their DNS resolution, and he was doing an upgrade on it, and he messed up, and he brought the system down, and um, he walked out of the lab and went to go get his boss to say, oh, shoot, I brought the machine, and we got to fix it, and he went to go get his boss because boss knew more, and he walked out of the lab. The card reader was dependent on the the DNS service so they couldn't get back in the lab to restart the machines and they were out wow. of the lab for like five hours because they couldn't get back in. Nobody wanted to break a window. So these these cross dependencies across all the different services and tools that you're relying, including your bad reader, reader you know, can bite yeah. you in places that you didn't really expect. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting you say that about, you know, your, your friends of these companies with these challenges around the different hyperscalers and, you know, it, it goes back to a conversation I just had with, with a colleague that, you know, when I originally saw like public cloud and someone was like, oh, there's this thing called Amazon. This is 
back in like 2008. Right. And they're like, well, we're going to start running some servers there. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm like, do they run VMware? And they're like, no, it runs on the Zen thing. I'm like, well, that's, how does that work? You know, obviously Amazon's been very successful. Uh, but what I like about what VMware is doing is this is this is a vision I had a long time ago, too, is, hey, VMware running in all these different hyperscalers. And then you have the choice of where you want to move VMs. You have the same common uh, architecture, the same operational design. And I think we're doing the same thing with our Tomzu portfolio is we're really addressing it. It's a different challenge, though, because containers and developers and the way they operate, it's much different than a VM that's just going to be there forever. So a VM that's there forever, obviously, we need to build in things like HA and DRS and all the, the great innovations VMware brought to the table. But addressing the, the, the container space and making it agnostic, I think, took a different approach. And that's the message I'm trying to get across to a lot of our customers and, and just, just the development community in general is you know i think vmware really brings something unique to the table of being able to provide these tools a lot of which are open source that you can use to really take advantage of being cloud agnostic rather than being right. stuck in one or the other i mean to, i meant to ask us when we got started but i'll do it now thanks to everybody for listening to near the end of the podcast here ryan where are you located uh i'm i actually support the bay area but i'm currently living in Lake Tahoe. So I was gonna say you have uh, a background of wood. It looks like you're like in a cabin in Tahoe somewhere, right? Because it does I, have I that am. look. Yeah. I call yeah, that right. It, it just started snowing too. So <laughs> it's it's definitely like we're the the groundhog saw shadow, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's saw shadow. We're in for we're in for another few months of who knows what, right? Like I don't think there's I don't think there's a normal here anymore, but that's awesome. So you're you're out of you're out of Tahoe. Good to, good to have yeah. you dial in. Um, we're we're coming up to the last five minutes to the hour, so we've been going for about fifty minutes. Uh, we we do go live stream if people want to, are listening to the podcast, they want to go look at what Ryan looks like. We are uh, we do pro broadcast on the barbecue so youtube.com slash the barbecue uh, b-a-r-b-e-c-u-e you can go check it out check out the episodes and you can see what ryan looks like if you want to see what he looks like and looks like and look at his backdrop of his uh, tahoe snowy glary window there with this super cool wood background gotta say looks pretty nice right and you got the sweater on so that should have been the giveaway that you're like somewhere in a colder climate Right, it's probably snowing out because you're, you're you're in the snow. Um, yeah. So V barbecue. I'm oh, sorry. I'll give you a hint on the wall. It looks easy on HGTV, but it was not as easy to look. So <laughs> it looks like you put some time into crafting that. So that's pretty nice. Um, we asked people at the end of the show, um, and we also have uh, Tony Foster come in uh, and talk. V barbecue here because it is coming up to lunchtime. It's 1256 here in California. Ryan, do you ever barbecue? And if so, or do you visit a favorite barbecue place? We would just want uh, you know, a one-minute barbecue story. Do you barbecue? And if so, what's your favorite barbecue? Sure. Uh so my sort of claim to fame or my special dish is ribs. So I love barbecue and baby back ribs. Um, and I learned a technique from actually someone at VMware of the Dr. Pepper method. So okay. I soak them, boil them in Dr. Pepper first, 
for about two hours, get everything soft, and then right. I've got a dry rub and then a barbecue sauce that I make, and then throw it on the grill, get the char on it. But that sounds good. My, that's my go-to. Dr. Pepper barbecue ribs. I'm going to try that because uh, me and my wife were just talking that uh, Tony Roma's, you know, as bad as people want to make fun of them, they had really wet barbecue ribs. Like they were they were boiled, falling off the bone, and then they just slathered it with, with barbecue sauce. But I happen to like those. And uh, Tony Roma's has basically gone out of business in the Bay Area because they don't make enough money to survive. I think they have one left somewhere down south. Uh, but I've been trying to figure out a, like a wet you know, fall off the bone barbecue rib recipe. So Dr. Pepper barbecue ribs with a rub up to two hours and then, uh, and then put them on the grill, char them up. Yeah. And it, it looks like it's totally not going to work. So you have to have some patience and some faith, but okay. they are just so juicy and fall off the bone. Good. You won't want to make it any way, way else. All right. On. I'm going to put that on my list. That's what I'm going to try. Dr. Pepper, uh, Tony Foster, you're around. I know you're listening. Anything uh, interesting from your perspective, or are we good to go? Uh, all I did was uh, barbecued pork burgers yesterday. They were absolutely fantastic, but they don't sound mm -hmm. like they hold a candle in the wind to the uh, uh, Dr. Pepper ribs. So a barbecue pork, you just take pork and uh, hamburgers, and you just, uh, you know, get ground pork i assume and uh barbecue them up yes and living in the midwest uh we have lots of great food so these actually came from uh, k-state university uh from one of the meat sciences uh departments and take them out fill their pre-made patties and uh, cook them over the flame about three minutes each side so that they're cooked through and they're just absolutely phenomenal and is Kansas, is K-State Kansas State? Yes. Yes, it is. There you go. From the Meat Department of Kansas State, ground pork burgers here on the Barbecue Channel with Ryan Kelly and Tony Foster. Awesome. Well, Ryan, uh, are you on Twitter? And uh, then we'll do we'll do a goodbye here. So uh, if people want to yeah. follow you, are you on Twitter? Yeah, it's at bm to cloud so the same as the website. All right, VM to Cloud. There you go. Go check out his uh, his, his site, VM to Cloud, and uh, say hello to Ryan Kelly on VM to Cloud on Twitter at VM to Cloud. Awesome, Ryan. Thanks a lot for spending a, a lunch hour with uh, with us and the community. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks thanks a lot. Me. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Well, we'll be back again next week, as always, uh, 12 to 1. Uh, if you want to drop in, you can. Awesome.